0: Vintage Church, Happy Father's Day. How y'all doing today? Y'all doing all right? Man. Good to see you. For those of you who are new, maybe you're visiting for the first time or the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and we're going to continue our series. We're together over the last several weeks, and for the next several weeks, we're taking a look at the Old Testament character of Joseph. His story is found in the book of Genesis. I want to encourage you, if you are just catching up with us, start reading about him in Genesis 37. It's an incredible story about how uh, Joseph essentially teaches us how to live lives that are un breakable we're going to continue that series before I do that though I want to just take a moment okay we only listen as dads we only get one day a year so I'm going to maximize that day so we have several things for you I know you've been talking about it we have these air fresheners and these are really really great on them they say dad to the bone right because y'all are bad to the bone come on And they're really, really great, particularly if you're a father of younger kids. Your kids leave rotting food in the back of your car. And, you know, you've gotten used to it, but the people who get into your car, they think it's kind of smelly. And so use one of these. Uh, It'll work. They work for a few weeks. And when it runs out, we'll get you another one. We also have a table full of snacks. And here's the rule, ladies and children, here's the rule. Only a father can give you permission to take anything off the snack table. Okay, so you have to be treating him really, really nice. And then finally, we, you might have noticed all of the dead animal carcasses on the wall. And listen, if that offends you, you should probably find another church because it's awesome. And so I wanna encourage you, this is very important because this is not like the Mother's Day photo booth, ladies. There are not double takes. You do not need to fix collars or any of that. You get in front of the dead animals and you take a picture, you're done. Okay, that's the rule. One more time, let's give it up for our dads, come on. Super glad that you're here. While all of culture tends to be hating on strong men, from my experience, certainly in studying history, weak men do a lot more damage to culture and society than strong men. And So it's important that God's people honor uh, biblical masculinity, and we are definitely a dad church here. So thank you guys so much for all that you do. We're gonna jump in to our fourth week talking about the story of Joseph. Joseph finds himself in prison. He finds himself in prison. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 39. Before we do that, though, I want to talk about something really, really exciting happening in our church. Next month, we actually have have come up into a very, very critical part of a project that we started last year. How many of you guys were here for the There Is More uh, series last year? In that series, we actually kicked off our plan uh, to essentially add more space and better air conditioning across all of our locations. We introduced that plan across all of our locations. You guys came out in force. We've been working on the plans. We're going to be adding a brand new state-of-the-art auditorium on the other side of the building with the same footprint as this entire building and then we're going to be making all of this kids space. It's something we desperately need. Now, here's what happened. How many of y'all would like some more elbow space? Listen, let me tell you the truth. Only a preacher likes a full room. Nobody else likes a full room. They like to spread out a little bit. So you need some more space. So do our kids ministry. A lot of times when there's a need in the church, I hear people say this all the time. Well, pastor, you know, I thought we were spiritual family. Like, isn't that spiritual? What's with all the physical talk? We are a spiritual family, but every family needs a home. It's in that home, that physical place, that provides a context to reach people far from God. And so that's really what the There Is More Capital campaign is all about. We have an immediate need right now of $240,000 to break ground and begin on that new auditorium. For those of you who may know a banker, you know that they really only care about one thing cash come on you're talking about it's true okay and so we need that cash to be able to start uh, we kicked this off uh, this need to you last week so far we've got, we've given just um over 10 percent give it up that's a good start come on okay okay but but we need you to give more okay because we need more so that we can get started if you're in here and you've already pledged and you fulfilled your pledge it wasn't big enough you need to pledge more okay we need some help For those of you, maybe you're just joining us, you wanna find out more information about the project, including what we're doing across all of our locations, you can go right outside this door to the right. There's a booth there that has a ton of information. You can also visit vintage.church forward slash more. If you're in here and listen, pray about giving something. Here's the thing, it's weird when you go to a church and a pastor tells you exactly what to give. That is not my job. Here's what my job is. It's to remind you that every time God wants to do something great in his people, in their communities, in our world, he always uses his church, his people to do it. So here's what my job is. My job is to make sure that the need's in front of you. Your job is to pray and to ask the Holy Spirit what he would have you to do. Here's the promise from heaven, the promise is that if all of us do everything that God tells us to do, we will have not just enough, but more than enough to do this and to be a blessing, okay? So I wanna make sure that you're praying. We're gonna keep this need in front of you, okay? We're gonna keep bringing it back to you, letting you know what the progress is. If God's putting something on your heart, you wanna connect with me, I'm right outside to the right in an the, the area called the guest suite. I'd love to talk with you about this or maybe just about getting involved in the church. So Genesis chapter 39, verse 21, we're gonna continue to do what we've been doing every single week, we're going to stand. Would you please stand? We're going to honor God's word as we read our key passage today from Genesis 39 verses 21 through 23. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all, would say all, all, all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority. Much like Potiphar, he trusted Joseph completely. Why? Because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything that he did successful. You may be seated. Here we find ourselves in this story of ups and downs. You might remember Joseph, right? He was the favorite son of his father in a land called Canaan. His brother got jealous, threw him into a pit, They were going to kill him, but they thought they'd make a little bit of money off of him. So Judah, which is where we get the derivative Judas from, there's a parallel there, decides to sell Joseph with the rest of his brothers to a caravan of slave traders going to Egypt. Joseph is loaded up on that card. He's taken to Egypt. He's placed, he's actually bought by Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And much like in prison, Joseph immediately succeeded. God caused Joseph to be blessed, yes, even in actual slavery. I'm not talking about an ancestor slavery, but actual slavery. He was placed unfairly, unjustly in Potiphar's house, but God still caused him to be blessed. He started learning, he started gathering skills, and soon Potiphar put everything in his household under Joseph's authority. But then Potiphar's wife started making love eyes at Joseph started flirting with Joseph, and Joseph was presented with an option, with a crossroads of sorts. I started thinking about this biblical idea of crossroads. You and I, as you follow Christ, we're going to come to moments, to places in our life where we are at a crossroads. Here's how you know you're at a crossroads. Do I go this way or do I go that way? And our decision to honor God in the crossroads of our life is gonna determine how much he is able to do in and through our lives. Joseph finds himself at a crossroads. Last week we talked about what you do when you find yourself at the crossroads of temptation. Uh, Joseph stayed strong. He resisted the advances of Potiphar's wife. She falsely accuses him of rape. Yes, that was the first Me Too movement. It's in the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun falsely accuses him of rape. Yes, I said it. Okay, then Potiphar comes in, and you might notice Potiphar doesn't kill Joseph. You know why? Because not even Potiphar actually believed that's what happened. But Potiphar, to save face, throws Joseph in his dungeon, the deepest, darkest prison, the king's prison, where he is sitting there today. And here, Joseph, having done the right thing, having honored God, It seems as though God's not working. And yet as he enters that prison, the same favor that was on him in his father's house went with him to Potiphar's house and wouldn't you know it, is on him in the prison. This is so important for those of us who are really going to honor God. Sometimes we look out at our circumstances and we make the false assumption that because everything's not working out the way we think or the way we think it should or the way that was promised to us, that somehow God has left us. You know, it reminds me of this story um, in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua is getting ready to take God's people into the promised land. He is Moses' successor and Joshua is preparing to go to battle and he sees on the horizon, on a hill, an angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, he wasn't really sure who he was at first. He was already ready for battle. Joshua walks up to this this angel of the Lord and he says, are you with me or are you against me? To which the angel of the Lord said, neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I think a lot of times, here's what we do. We're tempted at the crossroads to beg and to cry out to God, God, are you with me? Instead of asking, are we with God? That's the bigger question. I think that's probably one of the most important questions we can answer today, especially Father's Day. There is an all out assault on the very thing that made this nation great. There's an all out assault on things that were true five minutes ago, but all of a sudden words are changed and God's people once again, and it's not abnormal. God's people are made for these moments. We're at a crossroads where are we going to honor God or are we going to bow or bend our knee to culture? Joseph could have made lots of excuses in the prison. He could have complained. He he had lots to be upset about. There was no distinction in his mind between honoring God and continuing to move forward, which is exactly what he did in this passage. You know, I started thinking about the story, this particular chapter, and the summary here is you see Joseph in jail. There are two men that are brought to the jail. There are two dreams, two interpretations. One lives, one dies, and one man forgets, and Joseph is still in jail. What I think we learned this week from the story of Joseph is this, waiting is a core discipline in the Christian life. Waiting is a core discipline in the Christian life. I'm waiting for an amen. Amen. (laughs) Teaches us something, huh? We look at the promises of God. We see God coming through in the lives of the people in Scripture. But if we're not careful, we can rush right through their stories, and we forget that what we're reading in just a few chapters was literally somebody's entire life. And we miss the bigger things that God wants to do in our life They usually are not at the mountaintops. The greatest work God does in you to prepare you for the future is when you're in the valley. It's when you're in the said prisons of your life. Learning how to wait biblically, to wait well is so important to your faith. And you know, none of us like to wait. You know, in in Texas, you can still be, you can be going 90 miles an hour on the highway and there's still some redneck bumper in you trying to push you out of the way. Why? Because we don't like to wait. You know? As dads, you can relate to this. Come on now. Sometimes it's the end of the day. you know. My wife's running late from work. I got to do dinner with the kids. And the last thing I'm thinking about is a stove. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm thinking microwave. I'm thinking, let's get some pizza rolls. Let's get some chicken nuggets. And if you're more sophisticated, you moved on from the microwave to the air fryer. Come on, how many of y'all love the air fryer? The truth of the matter though is you were not designed by God to live that way. Sure, there are moments where you gotta do what you gotta do, but your whole life is not meant to be developed in a microwave. And for many of us, what happens is we live moment to moment, like second to second, never seeing God's bigger picture because we don't learn how to wait. I was studying this week and I came across uh, this, this idea. I didn't know this, but how many of you guys have ever watched an NFL game on TV? So in in, in an NFL game, the networks give three hours for the game, three hours. Now the actual regulations of the game only give time for one hour, okay? But in those three hours, there are 60 minutes for commercials, 75 minutes when the players are just standing around, waiting for a call or waiting to start the next play, and there are 17 minutes dedicated to replays alone. By the end of that three hour period, There are only 11 minutes of actual football played. That's actually how most of our lives go. The great theologian Warren Worsby says this about Joseph's time in prison. God permitted Joseph to be treated unjustly and put in prison to help build his character and prepare him for the tasks that lay ahead. The prison would be a school where Joseph would learn to wait on the Lord. He would learn that God's delays are not God's desires not God's desire. So for the next few moments, and I'm gonna give you a couple minutes back because it's Father's Day, and let's be honest, we're all really hungry. I'm gonna give you five, everyone say five. Five things to do when, not if, you find yourself waiting. I believe these are five things that Joseph did, and if we can lean in for just a few minutes, even on Father's Day, by the way, thanks for coming here before you go to the lake, thank you. I believe that it can really change our life and set us up just like it set up Joseph for his future. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to be faithful. This is the first thing, be faithful. Genesis 40 verses one through four. After this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guards in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guards assigned Joseph to them and he became their personal attendant and they were in custody for some time. I love that in the Bible. It didn't say they were in custody for a week or two weeks. How many of y'all love it when you get a timeline? Come on. They said that they were in prison for some time before they had a dream. And we, we go right past this sometimes, but think about this for just a moment. Joseph had been put over everything in the prison. It was just a normal day for Joseph. He had no idea that they would have dreams. This is before any of that happened. He was just being faithful with what was in front of him. The most important thing that you learn how to do as a believer is to do the right thing when you don't feel like doing anything at all. You know, sometimes I make my bed just so I won't get back into it. Did you know you can command your feelings? In a world that says you are your feelings, no, feelings are not facts. You can command just like King David when he was feeling down, the psalm says he commanded his soul to obey. Your feelings are supposed to follow your action. It's what sets you up for the future. Where do you learn that? By being faithful when nobody else is around, when nobody else is watching. The first thing you've got to do is learn to be faithful. There would have been lots of excuses for Joseph not to be faithful that day. He was, how, he was completely innocent of the charges against him. There were people all around him, including the warden who put him in charge, that knew he didn't do it. And yet here he is refusing to be resentful, refusing to have an attitude painted by what were many of his fellow prisoners who were very guilty He chose to stand up and to be faithful. You and I have to do the same thing. It's not just enough to curse the darkness. We have to do things like starting a school. We have to do things that actually make an impact, not in a microwave, not that we're gonna see tomorrow, but that we're gonna see in 25 years. Every problem our nation is facing and the church has ever faced started 20 years in advance, 20 years before. What? What happened? Put seeds in the ground, seeds in the ground. Every father, you know that, come on. One day, your kids are going to get off your payroll. Thank you, Jesus. What are you doing right now to ensure that that happens? That's the point. We've got to be faithful. Let me say be faithful. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, even when you don't like it, even when it's not fair. Dad, you love this. What do we tell our kids when they say, that's not fair? We say, life is not fair. I think that comes straight from the heart of God. But neither is favor. And Joseph had favor that was not fair because he was faithful. Next we see we need to be ready. Joseph was ready. It would have been easy for him just to kind of coast, to be apathetic, but he remained ready. Genesis 45, 40, 5 through eight. The king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph called to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody of the master's house, why do you look so sad? We had these dreams, he said to them, but there's no one to interpret them. Joseph responds, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. This is an incredible part of the story. Here Joseph is alert. He's paying attention. He's seeing the details. Notice... He had to notice that their face was down and distraught. It's tempting when you're going through your own stuff to think that it's all about you and to put yourself in the center of your own life. We do this all the time. Something bad happens to us and then we hyper-focus on it, we tweet about it, we Facebook about it, we talk about it all the time. And yet, nothing ever gets fixed. It seems like that problem we're so focused. I think this is why we struggle with fear, depression, and anxiety more than any other generation on planet Earth. We are some of the biggest, whiniest babies ever. It is so easy to just throw it out on social media. I need an unspoken prayer. By the way, that violates the definition of prayer. Prayer is spoken. (laughs) We wanna complain and we wanna vent and we wanna hyper-focus on what was done wrong to us or what was done wrong to our ancestors. We wanna make an excuse and be resentful. Here's what I've learned. What you focus on, you become full of. Joseph knew this. He refused to focus on himself, and he paid attention to what was going on. And he noticed that these two guys, right, he noticed that something happened to them. He noticed a change in their physical reality, and he paid attention. Why? Because he was ready. He was ready. He notices it. He brings it out. Next, he stayed close to God, and he remained humble. You've got to learn to be humble. That's not something you naturally are. You have to learn to be humble. We see somebody totally different than who we first met in Genesis 37. Genesis 37, 15, 16, 17-year-old kid. Man, he got a dream from God, and he couldn't wait to tell everybody about it, especially his older brothers. Man, he he even got his parents around. He's like, come on, you need to hear about this. Y'all all all gonna bow to me. Totally different here. Totally different. You know, sometimes we're crying out to God, God, I want favor. God, I want you to move in my life, but we're not ready. That if he gave it to us, we would squander it. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever had something you look back on and you wish you didn't squander? Likely, that was something you got too soon because you weren't ready. A lot of times, we want God to do something in our circumstances, but we haven't become the person that we need to be to be able to actually benefit the most from his blessings. So sometimes, like the old country song, God's greatest gifts... Our unanswered prayers. You're welcome. (laughs) You've got to learn to be humble. Genesis 40, verse 8. We had dreams, they said to him, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said, I'm your man. I've got all the answers. He didn't say that. He said, don't interpretations belong to God. Now tell me your dreams. In other words, there's a difference here between confidence and arrogance. In the valley, Joseph developed confidence in god and humility there was a confident a confidence and you'll see this later when he interprets pharaoh's dreams in a few weeks he had a confidence in god above all else no matter what happened right god was in control some of the greatest men and women have been developed in some of the darkest places john bunyan goes to prison and out comes pilgrim's progress Chuck Colson goes to prison, and out comes the worldwide ministry of prison fellowship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which published while he was in prison. And yet afterwards, we see this revolutionary impact of their life, and we think that it all started then. It didn't start then. It started way, way back at the crossroads. We need to be humble. gonna say humble. humble. Next, and on top of humble... This is the next progression. If you're truly humble, you're going to be honest. We're going to be honest. We're faithful. We show up. We're ready for God to move. We're humble, knowing that our life is in his hands. Ultimately, he calls us to be honest. When we read Genesis 40, you discover that Joseph tells the cupbearer he's going to be released, but he tells the baker he's going to get his head lopped off. You see, as believers, we need to have the ability to tell the truth, to say amen to the promises, but to also be honest about the responsibility, be honest about the repentance necessary to follow God, be honest about what it means to take up your cross and follow Christ. It's so important. Again, we have a culture that is oversensitive to tone and undersensitive to truth. And I take full responsibility as a pastor in the church to that. Too often, right, we hyperfocus on the things that get amens and likes and slams on social media at the expense of the honesty that actually leads to life transformation. And it's never the honesty that gets you shouted down. It's the honesty that gets you canceled. It's interesting when we talk about cancer cancer culture, right? We think it's all new, it's like a phenomenon. No, we're just more connected and we can complain to each other better than ever. But we've always been the same. We hyper-focus on what's negative and what's bad. We forget to open up the gospel and we realize, you know, you know they, they tried to cancel Jesus, y'all know that? They tried to cancel him. He didn't stay canceled, did he? No. And the Bible's promise, his promise to us, the promise of the gospel is, if we remain faithful, right, if we remain ready, if we remain humble, if we continue to be honest, they'll never be able to cancel us either. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, when you live like that, the fear of other people, you just don't walk in it anymore. Genesis 40, verse 9. So the cheap cuff-bearer his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me. and the vine, there were, three, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is its interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to before when you were his cup bearer. Joseph gives this incredible interpretation of this dream. For those of you who are kind of wondering, what's all this about a baker and a cup bearer? Well, there was an attempt on the king of Egypt's life, and he wasn't really sure who was guilty. So he threw both of them into prison. But as the investigation wore on, right, he would discover what really happened, that the cup bearer was Innocent. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Here, Joseph is interpreting a dream from God to a man wrongly accused, just like he was. Think about how humble he had to be to do that. Think about how much he had to really trust God. Here, God was given the answer to someone else in the exact same situation who had been there a fraction of the amount of time, and yet there were still crickets for Joseph. Think about it for a minute. Crickets. Next, the baker, who was the Judas, by the way, who did try to kill the king. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was positive, all of a sudden now he wanted one. Three baskets of white bread were on my head. In the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is its interpretation, Joseph said. You might want to sit down. The three baskets are three days, and in just three days, Pharaoh will also lift up your head, but he will take it off of you and hang you on a tree. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. I could have said the first two things. The last one, I would have maybe self-censored. <laughs> Joseph was a bold truth-teller. Those who follow God are not little wimps. You know, I remember when I first was considering becoming a pastor, um, one of the reasons I, I took longer than I, maybe I should have to get into it was all the pastors that I was around. I had a really, really great pastor, strong man of God. But as I'd gotten out on my own and I looked around starting a church and started you know, putting together a peer group, I just realized I, just, I don't think I could ever be a pastor because these guys just all look weak and they're always scared all the time. And it seems like their church is always bossing them around. They don't seem very happy. Right? It wasn't until I started reading God's word and the Holy Spirit started dealing with me, he said, actually, that's not what a confident." pastor looks like, right? A man of God, a woman of God, people faithful to God's word, they have a thick skin and a soft heart. Did you know it's possible meekness is not weakness? It's not. Joseph understood that because he went through some things, and he learned that he could still boldly tell the truth. As long as him and God were right, it was going to be okay. The good and the bad happened, Genesis 40 verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, He gave a feast for all of his servants. It was also a lesson to all of the people who might try to kill him in the future. He lifted up the head of the cheap cupbearer, probably first, restored him to his position. Then he restored the cheap cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. Now it's at this place in the story you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is good, right? He's about to get out. Pharaoh, listen, he he just solved a coup d'etat of Pharaoh. Certainly, it's time for Joseph to come out of the palace. This is what we do. We get ahead of ourselves. Here's point five as we close. We need to learn to be patient. Remember the good interpretation? Joseph added a personal request at the end of that one in verse 14. He said, but when all goes well, he had complete confidence that God was faithful and that what he saw was true. Remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. So he looks to man for his answer. He looks to the one who should be the most grateful, the cupbearer. Think about all the fear and the anxiety. Then it all happened. Just like Joseph had said, you think this is his ticket out. That's what me and you do. We do that. We're going through pressure things are rough, the first thing we're tempted to do in those moments is to look to another human being to be the source of our salvation, the source of our our redemption, the source to our problem, to our answer, and yet that's not what happened. The cupbearer promised, yes, Joseph, I'm your boy. I won't let you down. Man, you blessed me so much, I got your back, right? Look what it says. Genesis 40, verse 23. Yet the cheap cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Well, I guess God's not done with Joseph, is he? He forgot Joseph. Next week, we're gonna pick up this story. The next verse from that scripture is, and two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. We, We pass right by it. Not one mention of anything that happened in the next two years. Two years, he went from a mountaintop, I'm getting out of here, to now I'm hopeless again. You know what would have happened if God would have delivered him at that moment? He wouldn't have been there when Pharaoh had his dream. You know what would have happened had he just granted his request? You and I wouldn't even know Christ. The Bible says that the Messiah would come through this family. That through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The line of Christ is the reason we're here. You see, God wants to do so much bigger with your life than you can possibly see in the moment. And I can't, you know what Joseph did for two years? He was faithful, he was ready, he was honest, and he was humble, and he continued to be patient. I'm gonna close with this passage. I don't know where you find yourself today, but my prayer is that the same God that was there with Joseph in that prison is there with you and yours. That in the moments where nobody has any words that can make you feel better, that can make anything right, you would lean forward into the one that has everything you need, and you would allow his words to shape how you think, how you live, and what you see. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. You can clap. Go ahead and clap. That's good. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you, Father, that you're always doing more than we can see. And that sometimes, Lord, it's hard. But it's in that hardness, Lord, that you soften our heart, but you thicken our skin. And I pray, God, that you would prepare us for the fights ahead, for they are going to be many. There's a day coming where your people, called by your name, are going to rise up just like they have throughout church history to be the the light and the salt that this world so desperately needs. Father, we don't rise to the occasion. We fall to the level of our preparation. Today is preparation. Father, prepare us for what's coming. Allow us, Lord, to see just what we need to see to take the step. Father, give us the courage that we need for the days ahead. I pray, Father, for every father here, I thank you that you're the greatest father that ever was and ever will be. You are a great example for us to follow. I pray that you would encourage dads in here, maybe those that are struggling. Father, those that are maybe beginning to bend under the weight that have been put on them or maybe those that are, still refusing to take the responsibility that's going to grow them and going to give them meaning. I pray, God, that you would speak a word to them that would change them. Lord, I also pray for anybody in here within the sound of my voice that doesn't know you. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, they wouldn't leave this place the same way that they came in. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, we're almost finished, we're almost done. But before we change the order of the service, something we do every single week, every single service, every single time is we provide a place and a space for people far from God To draw near to him maybe you're in here today and you're far from god maybe at one point you followed god but you're not following today maybe you've never followed god the truth is i don't need a magnifying glass i don't need to ask you an awkward question or invite you up god knows exactly where you are and he knows if you're playing or not maybe you're in here and as i've opened up god's word you've felt a tug you felt a pull it's not a push it's not a shove it's the conviction of the holy spirit drawing you to the truth you will never be all that God created you to be apart from relationship with God, and you cannot get there apart from surrendering your life to Christ, what he did for you on the cross, putting your life under the power of the resurrection. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In a moment, I just want to pray for you. If you're in here, you're far from God, you don't want to be. You're saying, Pastor, I want to make it right today. I'm not going to embarrass you, single you out. We're not going to do any of that. But we do need to pray. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, that's me. Would you just put your hand up halfway and put it right back down? Is there here you say, that's me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're never the only one. It's the biggest lie the devil tells. Anyone else? I see you. Thank you. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer. What's magical is a decision that you're making to follow God. I want to encourage you as I pray this prayer, and you raised your hand, you really meant it, to say this prayer just loud enough where you can hear your own voice. As a matter of fact, you're surrounded by believers who are going to pray with you. I believe on the other side of this, God's going to meet you. We're also going to give you some steps. My advice to you, if you really mean it, if you don't mean it, don't bother, because it won't matter. But if you really mean it, take the instruction, take the step, get connected, grow in your faith. But right now, you've got to get your life right with God. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good, and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day after you were killed on the cross. I believe you resurrected from the dead. I believe you defeated death once and for all to give me life once and for all. So today, of my own free will, I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. Jesus, I am yours. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Come on, church, let's put our hands together.